welcome to Board Game Binge. The place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Kenny Michael Otten from Jolly Swagman Games. Kenny is an Aussie with a passion for games. His first crowdfunding campaign for his board game, Scrap, is currently on GameFound. Kenny, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing pretty well. I'm a little tired this morning in Australia, <laughs> um, but otherwise doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Yeah, this is awesome having... I think you might actually be the first Australian... I maybe have had one other guest from Australia on the podcast, but man, this just goes to show you that this hobby uh, spans the globe, right? And I know with a lot of our listeners, we have a lot of listeners in Australia as well, uh, but it's cool to start getting guests from these different pockets around the world. We get a lot of people from Europe, a lot of people from North America, and uh, it's good to kind of add to that that list uh, some Aussies. So, uh, so welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks so much. It's funny how much I've heard that recently from so many people where they're like, this is the first Australian design game we've reviewed, or you're the first Australian designer we've talked to. There are some of us down here, um, but yeah. I think part of that is is maybe the cost, right? So when you look at, uh, uh, you know, especially when you get into like Kickstarters or crowdfunding and mm-hmm. in your case, GameFound, um, you know, the sheer cost to service uh, Australia is uh, is significant, right? And uh, unless you're going directly with um, like, uh, was it Aetherworks in, in, uh, in Australia or yeah, another distributor? Most will actually uh, handle that through either their U.S.-based uh, distributor, fulfillment partner, or through their U.K. fulfillment partner, like uh, like a Games Quest or ShipQuest, for instance. And then they will take care of the Australian fulfillment. Um, but certainly, I think the community is 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 quite large down there. And maybe we can start by talking about that. So, as a board gaming community in Australia, how big is it there, and how robust is it, and how involved are you in that community? Yeah. So it's. Of course, it depends like anywhere in the world. It depends on exactly where you are in Australia. Um, So I would say originally I was from Sydney. And in Sydney, it's a pretty robust scene. So there's lots of different gaming groups around um, that you can visit on basically any given night of the week. Like tonight in Sydney, I know there's at least one in Parramatta, which is where I'm currently staying. Um, And there's another one in the city. And there's others on the weekends. And there's a heavy board gaming thing. There's there's a lot going on, basically, is long and short of it for Sydney. Um, but for the last two years, I've been living in Canberra. And I would say that Canberra is, for its population size, it feels like it's a fairly dense gaming populace. Mm. But there still doesn't seem to be that much happening there. There was a local game store that I would attend, uh, you know, on the weekends, and they'd have events sometimes. But other than that, during the night, I'd have to go and meet up with, you know, my friends to go out and go and play with them. As far as how involved I am in the industry, well, it's bits and pieces so my my folks are actually um they work for um they work for different gaming companies as well so they're oh, no involved kidding. in the wow yeah so my stepdad actually um he always he always says that he opened up the first um gaming store in sydney which was sydney game center a long time ago oh, that's um, cool. so yeah that was the first game store i ever went to as well um other than that what do i do i mean i, I just certainly design games and i go out and play them a lot um but I don't, I, I go out to game nights and that kind of thing. I don't host any of the game nights. I'm a happy participant rather yeah. than a host. Is there a lot of gaming cafes or is it mainly just like game shops uh, around you in Australia? 
predominantly game shops. There, yeah. there are a couple of game cafes that prop up here or there, um, but there are, there's a couple that have been successful for a short time. But then over the long term, especially over you know the pandemic, it really um, was quite hard for a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, predominantly most of the gameplay happens in game shops or um, alternatively, a lot of the time we host game days in like pubs and mm. that kind of thing. Pubs and clubs um, often are very welcoming to board gaming groups and that kind of thing. The one in Parramatta I mentioned tonight um, is at a local at local Parramatta club. Parramatta as well being quite a major city in Sydney. So it's not like a small club, you know, in the middle of nowhere. We're talking like the second major CBD is just welcoming board gamers in and everything. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of um, like a day job, like is is this your day job or are you doing something else? And this is kind of your side, your, your side hustle or kind of how you set up? Yeah. So I would say it was funny. The, a few weeks ago, um, I did finish up my day job for the time being. Uh, so my day job is a speech therapist wow. um, or a speech pathologist in Australia. Um, but then because I finished up that job, because I'm prepping to move overseas, um, I was basically between jobs. And so what, I met some new people and they said, what do you actually do for a living? And I said, well, funnily enough, at this exact moment, I suppose I'm a game designer. That is my full-time job at the moment. Um, but I would say that generally it's more of a side gig. Look, I would love for it to be a full-time gig. I would love to design games all day, every day and yeah. you know, create fun experiences for everyone. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes over the longer term. That's definitely the dream, I think. And you said you're yeah. moving overseas. Where, where, where are you moving? Only across the pond. So, I mean, I'm, what happened was I, I was in Sydney. I moved to Canberra. I moved back to Sydney for a month. Um, and then I'm moving with my partner to New Zealand. Um, oh, wow. Because okay. she's, she's originally from New Zealand. So, as such, we're just, she's moving home, basically. Um, and I'm, I'm tagging along. I always love when people say they're moving, like when they when they refer to something as across the pond, it's it's definitely relative to where you are, right? So where yeah. I am across the pond is is Europe. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's what we yeah. refer to as across the pond. For you, across the pond is just New Zealand, uh, yeah. which is uh, it's a little bit of a bigger pond, I think, between <laughs> America and Europe and Australia and New Zealand. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. And then your game design. So you've been doing. Uh, so how long have you been ga- designing games for? designing games so i would say that like i really started to more consciously consider game design probably around 2015 mm. so yeah that sounds about right i've actually probably 20, 2012 was when i started to consume more game design related media yeah um so i suppose that was when you know i started to get the ideas for it but actually consciously trying to design games probably more around the 2014 2015 era um and then yeah we well, talk about scrap a little bit more later on. Yeah. Um, but that's obviously been with, within the past few years as well. By having parents that are in this industry, I imagine you've been exposed uh, to to board games your whole life. Is, is, that, is yeah. that fair to say? Or? So yeah, I, I have. So I've actually, funnily enough, um, w- not my stepdad. Um, my stepdad, as I mentioned, had already opened a game store um, yeah. by the time I was playing games. And that was actually the first time that I met him was at the game yeah. store. Oh, that's cool. Um, but before that, um, I would actually say that I was the influence. They got my mum into gaming and then they got her into the kind of working in the gaming industry as well. Uh, so I, I've been gaming, you know, as early as five years old, really, when I forgot my first Pokemon cards, yeah. when they, the very first set of Pokemon that came out, um, which probably gives my age away a little bit. But, you know, I, I would say that for tabletop gaming, like proper board gaming, what you'd consider modern board gaming, yeah. um, since about... 10 years old so wow. 19 years now so quite a while like yeah. I, am, I may seem quite young 
Um, but yeah, 19 years has been a while. Yeah. Like when you have that kind of exposure and, and I guess the, the equivalence I would give would be, I've got a, a buddy and uh, he was actually mm-hmm. one of the first guests on this podcast and, and he owns, I think over a thousand games. Like he is just a walking encyclopedia <laughs> when it comes to, to board games. Like he's a, he, he's a, he's, he's into the hobby deep, right. And he, he loves yeah. board games. He loves socializing. He's the one who, who started our meetup that, that I go to every week. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when you, when you have that kind of exposure, you get access to pretty much all mechanics that are out there, right? Because you're playing different games and it definitely gives you a different visibility and, and, and informs you, I think a lot better in terms of, of your game design. So when I'm talking to him about games I'm working on, uh, he'll look at it and he'll say, Oh, that reminds me of, and he'll list off five games that I've never even heard of. Right. Yeah. And, and so for him, I think that, having that knowledge, if he ever did get into game design, which I keep encouraging him to do someday, I think he'd probably design a pretty good game, right? Because he would have that, that wealth of knowledge. Whereas I, on the other hand, and, and many others, we don't know what we don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't, if there, there might be a game mechanic out there, you've never even been exposed to before. Uh, so the more these things you get exposed to, I think the more robust your approach will become in, in creating your own, your own game. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually something I intentionally try and do. So Pretty much whenever we yeah. go to a new game night, um, oh sorry, not a new game night. When we have, whenever we have a game night, um, often you know everyone will have a shelf opportunity or a shelf of shame or a new thing that's come out in from crowdfunding, um, and I'll pretty much say yes to every single new game, um, purely almost from a scientific standpoint, where I just want to see what the game is doing and see if it's interesting. Um, I also do used to do a lot of game reviewing, so I always am curious to see what else is out there and see how it kind of. Um, matches up against what already exists as well. Yeah. Um, so even though I've got games I absolutely love and would play any day of the week, if given the choice, I'll usually play a new game, just again, for that kind of academic pursuit of it. Um, but when it comes to my own collection, I'm actually, even though I've been in the industry for 19 years, um, I, I keep a very lean collection. So I'd say my collection's probably about 50 games or so. Um, that's not to say I haven't played thousands. I have. Mm. I've played everything across the spectrum from, you know, code names to gmt war games about conflicts in the 1400s sure um but i just i just don't find myself keeping anything that really is below like an eight or an 8.5 out of 10 for me wow well that's uh that that that, good for you to be able to keep a lean collection because i know how difficult it is difficult right like I, I say it, this and three games just arrived in the post yesterday and i'm moving overseas <laughs> soon um so you know i'm not i'm not a saint of minimalism i yeah. i i succumb to you know purchasing as well but i just uh, try and i try and keep it down so when it comes to scrap how did you come up with this idea for scrap where'd that come from so scrap came up uh, sorry i came up with the idea of scrap uh quite some years ago actually the initial idea at least probably around that 2015 time actually so for a long time i'm a fan of really interactive games um you kind of area control as a lot of people call them dudes on a map games, you know, mm-hmm. like lots of soldiers, that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, Blood Rage, Blood Rage, Rising Sun, those kind of games are very much my jam. Um, and at the time, I wanted to kind of create my own series of games. I'm a really big fan of sci-fi stuff. So my ambition at the time was to create a series of uh, area control games with different sci-fi themes so for example one was going to be a robot theme one was going to be like a bestial alien theme and so on and so forth and the ultimate goal would have 
would to be to have it so that all of them could be played together like you know basically each one was almost an expand alone where it would be its own game absolutely um and you could never think about the other game and just play it um but the systems would be compatible enough that you could actually play them with each other so that was where the initial idea came from was you know scrap being the, that robot game um and having a bit of a programming system in order to drive it you know very mm -hmm. thematic for robots programming it's not most inventive idea in the world but it's certainly within theme um and then what happened was in 2020 um you know the covid lockdowns hit most people across the world um i found myself at home a lot more with a lot more time on my hands and so i started designing and funnily enough i actually started off designing that beast or alien game so the other one in the series mm. um but over time as i was designing it it hit this point where i wanted to introduce more more concepts so when you think of bestial aliens you know i'm talking things like imagine that you're playing alien tigers or like alien gorillas or that kind of thing okay. um that 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 kind of bestial aliens. so yeah. not not intelligent civilizations or anything like that talk literally just alien animals effectively yeah. um but i wanted more mechanics around building things and i couldn't really think of stuff apart from nests or things for them to build so i kind of initially just altered the theme to be robots so that they could build buildings like factories and so on and so mm. forth and have it be fine. Um, but then when I was encountering some of the design problems with that version of the game, uh, which was a very, very early version, I thought back to 2015 around that robot game I wanted to make with programming um, and, you know, how much I love robots and how you can do really interesting things with programming. And the... The main problems I was having with the design were actually going to be solved by that programming mechanism. So I made the shift, um, much to the chagrin of a lot of early playtesters who were like, I don't, I don't know about this. Like, it's, it's going okay. And I went, I'm pretty sure this is the right choice. And I haven't looked back since. And I think it's been an amazing development since then. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I want to start off by just congratulating you on this campaign. Um, this is in Australian dollars. I usually put things in Canadian dollars because on Kickstarter, it's <laughs> the only way I can see it. We're on GameFound. We're going to talk yep, about yep, GameFound yep. in a second here. But you're mm -hmm. at 23,000 on a goal of 23. So you just crossed your goal and Lit, you still yeah. have Lit. 26 days to go. So congrats on that. Uh, Thanks so that, much. That's amazing. Uh, for those in Canada, that's it's roughly equivalent dollars in Canada as Australian We're dollars. We're about the same. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is two to four players. Can you walk us through kind of the essence of how to play this game? I just want to say like the board looks super cool. Uh, like I awesome. love this kind of modular board you have together with the hexes that kind of connected. And then the meeples are, are all, are they stickered or are they printed? I can't tell from the photo. So the thing I always say, cause people always say, oh, they're, you know, scraps got screen printed meeple. And I'm like, up, up, up. they're not screen printed. So it's a process called heat stamping. Okay, um, gotcha. bas basically if you're familiar with like t-shirts and stuff you get yeah. like some kind of print and you iron it on that's effectively what's on the meeple so they are stickers but you don't apply them they've already been applied in the manufacturing process basically yeah. the film rolls on top of them you apply heat and it transfers the image onto them so you get that really high quality image um which is basically the same as what the artist did you yeah. don't compromise on color or anything and that's what you end up with basically so heat stamped meeple I mean, and who did the phot photography for your page? I mean, it's it's really well done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So funnily enough, that was actually just done by um, a local friend of mine. So the the thing with my campaign, a big quick shout out to um, Lauren and James for helping out with the photography. They 
offered to they wanted nothing in return they just wanted to help out with the campaign mm -hmm. and you know i wouldn't say photography is not like their that's not what they do every day you know as it turns out james is also learning to be a speech pathologist and lauren is a practicing psychologist so we're all allied health practitioners um but no one does photography apart from for a hobby um but i thought they came out brilliantly oh with, they, did, they did great yeah yeah with with the campaign i just i guess what i emphasize is it's i've tried to really ensure it, it it's authentic in that way right so you know i or the video was shot at home uh my mum was the cameraman with my galaxy iphone i don't mm -hmm. have a camera set up um i edited it on my computer with some free software i got from somewhere like pretty much everything you see on the campaign was edited by me or you know helped produced by someone within my friend group it's not a big bro uh, branching campaign with you know thousands and thousands of dollars behind it it's very much yeah me it's lean good and then the 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 gifts and who did all the gifts for you that was also me as well oh. so yeah so the gifts look i'm not saying the gifts are the most excellent thing ever i've actually got to ask that question twice um but i made those in powerpoint um part of part of the journey of me getting to where i am today is also just um the story of me building up all of these different tech skills so learning video editing and learning how to animate and all of this stuff so you know I, as i said like they're not the most technical gifts ever like obviously you can make them look much fancier than that but i think they explain and get the job done so come again you said powerpoint you did these in microsoft powerpoint come on yeah really seriously yeah microsoft powerpoint so even parts of the video that you saw so not the gifts but the actual um the game found video the parts that are more animated where it's you know talking about you know in scrap and it shows yeah. the art and stuff they, those were all videos that i made using powerpoint then recorded, then exported to the actual video editing software. So I originally, um, I got very familiar with PowerPoint. I did all of my card editing and everything in PowerPoint originally as well. I didn't have any other software. Yeah. So that's that's how kind of low budget originally everything that was. That is crazy. So for people listening, uh, th this, I, this I find shocking because uh, I would assume this is done in Blender or something like that. Um, you should create a video, like a tutorial on that. I bet you your views <laughs> on that video alone uh, would be quite high. Uh, that how, is how to how to do gifts in PowerPoint. Yeah, like how to create like it like it's it's an anime it's an animated video. Like you're showing like the cards are moving around and you're then arrows are going to, um, you, you know the the symbology and then you got squares going around symbology and then it's like zooming in and things like that. Like it's very very slick. Congratulations, man. That is awesome. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. That's, look, uh, as I said. I'm always, I always love it when I'm surprised at something when I'm talking about this. <laughs> so this one actually surprised me. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's PowerPoint, surprisingly powerful piece of technology. I, I showed something before. I remember maybe a year and a half ago because that was the first time I tried my hand at making a GIF with PowerPoint. It wasn't as, I would say, the ones now are a little slicker. But yeah. even at that time, I remember someone saying, you know, oh, what technology did you use to make the, the GIFs? And I was like, oh, I just used PowerPoint. And yeah. everyone was like, PowerPoint? I'm like, yeah. It's just every, everything I was doing at the time was in PowerPoint. Um, as I said, all of the cards, the templates, everything. I ha used to have slides. So I used to have like 150 slide PowerPoints with each page having a different card just so I could have them all in the same spot and everything and go oh, through and cool. edit them. And it was crazy. Different, that's amazing. Different time. You know what? Bootstrapping is is what this is all about, right? And I, you know, we talked about this on a, a podcast a few weeks ago of A, um, there's a lot of, 
very big campaigns that are shot practically, right? The, mm -hmm. that, that video, so you don't necessarily have to do that. I mean, we're working on Cities of Venus right now. And with that mm -hmm. video, um, I was going to do a lot of it animated. I've got yeah. kind of a front end animation just showing kind of a rocket leaving Earth and you know traveling to Venus. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to do the rest of it shooting. I have the game. <laughs> so yeah, I want to yeah. just shoot what I've got. The game looks awesome, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, music tracks, things like that. Like there's, you can do things very economically um, where you don't have to bust the bank. And I think some people have been kind of led down this myth of you need to hire, you know, a big video company to create your video for you. And you have to have all this, uh, you know, fancy uh, 3D animation done. And I mean, I don't think, I mean, it always makes things look nice, but there's a lot of examples where that isn't necessarily what drives success, right? And yeah, it's building yeah. your audience and it's having a great game and the concept and things like that, something unique that seems interesting. These are the things that will help drive it. And you have to decide if you have the budget or not to put that extra icing on. If you don't, you have to find ways to bootstrap it, right? And yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's cool when I when I see that. So again, congrats on that. So, no, so we much. did a little diversion here. I want to get back to this. So yeah, how do you play it, this game? It, <laughs> yeah, okay. So first I'll give you, I'll do my typical stuff. I'll give you the thematic pitch uh, yeah, yeah. and I'll run you through kind of the basic turn structure. I'm not going to go into detail over yeah, yeah. You know, every single yeah, mechanism. No um, so in Scrap, you're playing what's known as an intelligence. Uh, in other game language, it'd be a faction. So you're a faction of bots. Um, but what's happened is there was an event known as the Singularity, which spread this mysterious substance known as Celestium all throughout the galaxy. I know I said a lot of space words there, um, but basically what Celestium is, if you equate it to other uh, themes, think of it like the force or the magic that kind of permeates throughout the universe. Um, as that Celestium washed over different beings in the galaxy, it had very different effects. So when it uh, washed over, for example, some bestial aliens who might come up in a future game, um, they evolved in, you know, weird and wild ways. Uh, when it washed over all of the um, AI throughout the universe, all of the robots, uh, they developed the, the semblance of intelligence. So starting to develop cognition and thought and all of those wonderful things. Um, and they also developed a hunger to find out more about this event, the singularity. Um, so they've all traveled to this same planet, the planet um, Ceratus, in order to study it and find out what's happened. So that's actually your goal in the game. Your goal is uh, to, to basically gather 50 data in order to discover the secrets behind what happened with the singularity. Um, now that's the thematic pitch. The mechanical pitch and the way the game works is that effectively is an asymmetric area control game, right? So a lot of the game is going to be, you're going to be deploying bots onto the planet. So getting more bots into play, moving those bots around to try and control areas. And then you're going to get benefits for controlling those areas. So a fairly common loop in a lot of games um, but what makes scrap particularly unique is how that action happens so it's really broken into three phases um, i'm actually going to start in the last phase because it helps to frame the first phase um, what happens in the third phase is you're going to have this hand of cards called uh, function cards with each of the function cards um your sorry they're all unique in some way so there are common actions if you imagine that you have an attack card and I have an attack card, mm -hmm. the the core action is the same. You know, we attack in exactly the same way, but there's some additional ability that is going to be unique to my faction as well. Um, what you're going to do with these function cards is you're going to form a program. So you'll take two of the seven or so you start with and you'll place them face down in front of you. So one, you know, one on the right, one on the left. Then on your turn, you, we're going to jump back to phase one. So we were just in phase three, you're going to jump to phase one. Uh, you do the following things. You flip up the one that's on the right, 
and then you resolve it. So you've actually already pre-programmed your major action for the turn. You, unlike a lot of games, you're not selecting it. Um, you choose it well in advance, so two turns in advance. Um, you don't choose exactly what you're going to do with it. So I might flip up a card that gives me lots of movement points. I don't have to program where all of my bots are going to go. I can decide on the turn where they're going to go. Mm -hmm. But I've programmed that this turn, it's going to be movement. Um, once you've done that, you'll move into the last phase or the second one, which is the call phase. And in the call phase, you have a little more flexibility. This is almost like playing a mini game of Scythe with tech tracks. Mm. So you've got these four different tech tracks um, that you can go up, which represent kind of four major types of actions. You've got your move action, your build action, your get energy action, energy being a resource, um, and then also your punching action. And so each turn, you'll put down your focus marker, you'll develop that track a little further, and then you'll perform an action on that track. Now, as you advance along those tracks, you your actions get stronger. You will also unlock more function cards that relate to that track. So if you're unlocking, for example, movement-related ones, then you're not always going to get a movement function. You mm -hmm. might get a function that has a little bit of a mobility flavor, basically. Um, so that's what happens as you advance along those tracks and perform those actions. All the intelligences start at different points on those tracks. So some intelligences start with high mobility and high energy production, but they're terrible at building bots and they're terrible at fighting, as an example. So yeah. they've got to kind of use that mobility to their advantage. Or you could just focus on the punching tech track if you wanted to, um, and then just go up in that and transform your intelligence entirely. Um, the kicker with that in that track, though, so again, with a little bit of a scythe reference, is you can't pick the same track two turns in a row. In mm. fact, you can only move to an adjacent one. So every turn, you're actually only having a choice of two. So even though there's some flexibility, you're still bound by your programming. And the last thing I really want to emphasize is how Celestium, that mystical thing you're studying, all ties into this. So throughout the game, different effects will give you Celestium. Sometimes you may not get that much Celestium throughout the game, depending on what you do. Um, but Celestium lets you cheat, basically. So you remember how I talked about with programming, um, when you flip over a function, you've got your basic ability, which is the same for everyone, and you've got your mm. power-up ability. So usually, in order to resolve that power-up ability, you need to discard a card from your hand that matches. So if I've got a blue card face up, I've got to discard a blue card from my hand to unlock that bonus ability. Celestium just says, spend me, and you can power up. It doesn't matter what color it is, you know, I'll just power it up for you. So that's one way Celestium lets you cheat. The next that's way cool. is, you remember I talked about the tracks, how you there's four, and you basically can only choose an adjacent one. Celestium says, you can pick whichever one you want. You can even do the same one again. Um, and the last one is, when you're programming cards, Celestium lets you put down two cards in a stack so that when they flip up, you actually have a choice of what you're going to play. So Celestium actually represents your robots developing more flexibility and it's kind of intertwined throughout the game in that way. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it looks it looks awesome. Uh, one question I had is why GameFound? So for your first game, was there a decision of why you chose GameFound versus uh, Kickstarter? You'd certainly hope so. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, as I mentioned, uh, like I'm not, you know, I'm not new to the industry. I've been around for... 19 years, much more sure. than half my life, I'm aware that Kickstarter is the big one, right? Yeah. Um, but there are a few reasons I picked GameFound. Um, so I'll focus more on the positive stuff. So I picked GameFound because I really like that they're trying to innovate a little more. So and as an example, in my campaign, there were two new features that were trialed. One was the stretch payment feature, 
basically mm. what that allows you to do is Payment I plan. think yeah. yeah exactly so like you just you know pay your pledge over time basically so what happens there is that I still on my campaign see that you've pledged $100 $150 whatever it may be um, but that only actually comes out of your bank account over three months. So the first month will be $50 and then $50 the month month after. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a midway between that $1 pledge for backers, which is obviously great for backers, but not so great for publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, convincing people to back 150 straight up and it coming out of the bank. So I thought that was a great feature. Um, and the other one was the stable pledge, where basically if shipping goes haywire later on, um, it gives backers the ability to have an out where if the shipping shifts too much, um, they actually get a hundred percent refund if they wish they can pay the, you know, extra shipping they want to, or they can just back out and GameFound will fully refund them. So that's one thing is innovation and actually new features that I think are good for both publishers mm-hmm. and good for backers as well. Um, on a practical level as well, um, so as a self-publisher, so again, someone who's basically doing most of the stuff myself, I don't do the art, by the way. I'm not that good. You'd get stick figures and that'd be it. Yeah. Um, what what I have to do is I, you know, organize kind of the art direction. So I give ideas and I have to manage that. And then I have to do the game design, the play testing, a lot of the graphic design, the rule book, managing the public manufacturer, sorry, not the publisher, the manufacturer, managing the crowdfunding, managing the crowdfunding campaign, managing the marketing. So there's, there's a lot of plates to spin basically sure. um and so GameFound has its pledge manager automatically included as part of the service so that just meant there was one less thing i had to organize i didn't have to go out and find a new pledge manager find out what their terms and conditions were compare mm-hmm. it to other pledge managers work out what the percentage they're going to take is work out what that means my not my bottom line but like you know just how much do i need to make to not bankrupt myself um and so it was just easier logistically so i'm aware that kickstarter probably would have got more organic traffic um and you know GameFound doesn't have that reach just yet but for practicality and also just to kind of stand for innovation in the industry i decided to use GameFound. no it's awesome no it's good to hear the perspective too right because i think yeah. uh, you know obviously there's some deep thought and consideration that went in and i think a lot of people have to go through the decision process okay which one am i going to go with and what are the pros and cons and as long as the pros are there for you, then then there's the right platform, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. So this is so Jolly Swagman Games. Uh, you're you're now a company. You're a designer. It's your your full time job right now. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, so what's next? So you have this game. Like, are you? Do you have several titles you're working on? Like, is there a suite of games you're planning? And and kind of what's what's coming up? So in order to make sure that Scrap was kind of the best game possible, I really focused just on that. Like, mm. uh, I'm really good at coming up with a whole bunch of different ideas for all these different games and scrap and trying to, like a lot of designers, the problem is not coming up with ideas. The problem is cutting down the ideas so you find something workable, basically. Um, so I do have a lot of other games in the pipeline. So I can kind of talk about two titles that I'm in the early stages of, I would mm. say. So one of them is a game called Floodplain, um, which is actually, it's in the same vein as if you're aware of the cost which is a game about asbestos mining. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's also in the similar uh, vein to Barrage. So it's kind of like, it's about Australia um, Mm. and how floodplain harvesting happens there. And basically it disrupts the river systems. So it's kind of like, what if disrupting and manipulating water in Barrage actually was bad for the environment and bad for towns, basically. 
And so you explore those effects. What I've tried to do though, is go for um, the ability to win by being mean. So you can, you know, be a jerk and reroute the water and all of that and things will suffer and you can win the game. Um, <laughs> or you can, or you can be really nice and not do that and still also win the game. I want both paths to be viable rather than it to be just a preach on, you know, this is bad. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, the other game I have in my pipeline is actually another one in the scrap universe. So it's, it's set in what I call the Celestium saga. Um, and that game is called Beyond. Um, mm. Beyond is inspired a little bit mechanically by Kanegi, um, a fairly recent game, which I played and no, no hate against like the design or anything. The theme for me is so bland. Like it's, you know, it's very much doing what I like to say is Euro, Euro things. You yeah. build track, but you, it's like you basically build track you send your workers out to get literally cubes or whatever. Um, and then you get dollars. It's very plain, but that worker mechanism, like moving your people around your departments is so fun. So I wanted to make a game that used that mechanism, but in a, what I think is a more engaging theme. So I've got this idea of you managing a Star Trek ship basically hmm. um, and moving your people around there and sending on missions off planet. To, in order to retrieve them and so on and so forth. And it's got a little bit of a deduction element too, but I'll save that for later on. <laughs> well, that sounds awesome. I mean, I can't wait to see where you end uh, on this campaign. I mean, this one here already, 23,000, and you still got uh, 26 days left. Uh, man, I wish you all the best. For anybody that wants to check out this campaign, it's called Scrap. Uh, we'll have a link in the Board Game Binge podcast uh, private Facebook group. If you join our group or if you're part of it, you'll see it there. Uh, you can also just go to gamefound.com and type in Scrap and uh, you'll find it. Or quite frankly, what I how I found it, it was actually on the landing page of gamefound.com. As soon as you go to Gamefound, it's is right there in, in the list of games. So, Kenny, I want to wish you all the best. And uh, let's, uh, let's hopefully this is going to be an amazing year for you. I know it's going to be a good start and I can't wait to see how this finishes. Fingers crossed. Thanks so much for having me. All right, my friend, you take care. Cheers. Have a good one. Bye. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.